chapter 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Corinthians 7. Lord, we thank you so much this morning. Thank you for gathering us, for being right here with us. Thank you for how you love us, how you cherish us, and for your great care as our good shepherd. And so as we settle our hearts now before you, we ask that you would be the one teaching us and ministering to us. Lord, you know exactly what each one of us needs to hear this morning. Lord Jesus, you said those who are of the truth hear your voice, and so we need to hear your voice this morning. You tell us that your sheep hear your voice and they follow you, so please speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And God, for those who may not know you this morning and have a personal relationship, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of surrender, as they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, and we thank you for the great things that you're going to do this morning. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And so just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is dealing with this struggle that he had between himself and the church at Corinth, a number of the believers at the church there. Um, remember, they, many of them didn't respect the Apostle Paul. They didn't respect his apostleship, his calling. Um, they weren't receiving from him either. And as we begin to kind of work our way through this letter, we realize that there was a small minority that was affecting the majority within the church um, of not, not uh, loving or respecting the Apostle Paul any longer, and it's, it's hard to believe that to, for me as, as we look at his life and all that he did, the sacrifice, the sacrifices that he made for people, to minister to them, all that he went through to reach people, to love them, to care for them, and that people will be talking trash about him, but that's really the reality in ministry sometimes, where you're pouring out, you're pouring out, and um, as some people that don't, you know, don't really respect or love you for whatever reason, um, and so there's this rift in their friendship. And Paul, if you remember last week, Paul got right to the heart of the issue. What was going on? And he said that the Corinthians had become unequally yoked with unbelievers. In fact, he had warned them and exhorted them, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's why they couldn't connect. That's why there was this division within their relationship. And Paul exhorted them to be holy and not to be unequally yoked. In other words, don't let other people pull you down. Don't make connections with those people that are going to pull you away from your calling. They're going to pull you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're called to be different, aren't we, as Christians? Are we called to be different as Christians? Called to be salt and light. We're to be in the world, but what? Not of the world, and it's separation, and we talked about this last week, it's separation, but not isolation. There's people that need Jesus around us, and separating ourselves from everyone is not what the Lord has called us to, but there is to be a separation from from no longer being conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, this world's values and morals and principles, the direction of this world. By the way, the Bible tells us in 1 John that the the whole world lies in the sway of the devil, of the wicked one. So we don't want to be uh, going the way of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we get to saturate the world um, with a different lifestyle as we follow Jesus. I mean, our lives are marked, there's a marked difference in our lives as we're called to love the Lord and love others. One huge difference is how we care about other people, isn't it? 
to care about the to care about the people that God brings into our lives. And so Paul Paul challenges the church in Corinth. We're challenged as well. And then in chapter seven we begin, and Paul says, "Therefore, having these promises, beloved." Let me just stop right there real quick. What promises? What promises is he, t- is he talking about? Remember last week, those uh, last couple of verses, the promises that God gives us. At the end of verse 16, God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so you see all those I will statements of what do we have now, this amazing relationship with the Lord. And so we're, we're told there, as we separate ourselves from the world, the world system, worldly values, world, worldly morals, we separate ourselves not just from something, but unto our Heavenly Father into greater intimacy with him. And so in light of that, what are we to do? Beloved, you be loved. That's what beloved means. You're dearly and deeply loved, the Apostle Paul says. What are we to do? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of, of God. And so we get some instruction this morning now in light of all that God has done, his promises. And please notice it's let us. Paul includes himself here. Paul's not just saying, hey, you guys need to do this. No, this is something for who? For all of us this morning. Let us do what? Number one, he says, the negative is to cleanse ourselves. The word in Greek, it's interesting, interesting word in Greek, it's katharizo in which we get the word catheterize. If you've ever had a catheter put in you, anybody ever here have a catheter put in you? It's not fun, is it? It's painful, but what does it do? It removes the junk, it removes the poison, it removes what doesn't belong within our system, within our body. The word means to make pure, to remove the poison. In other words, taking away what's dirty. Notice what he says in the next part of that verse, from all filthiness of the flesh, That speaks of what? That speaks of our actions, our behavior, right? And the spirit, what's going on externally and then what's going on internally as well. So that's the negative. And then the positive is what? We are to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, we are to take it upon ourselves to move in the direction of moral purity or continually do what's right is the idea, in a deep reverence and respect for God. Because everything we do is under his watchful eye, correct? And so, as we look at it, so how do we do this? How do we, number one, cleanse ourselves? Well, remember what Jesus said. How do we make ourselves pure? Think about that with me for a second. How do we make ourselves pure? Pure. Well, we know that when we came to Jesus, when we surrendered, there's a cleansing that only he can do, correct? He cleanses us from all of our sins, right? Our sins and our lawless deeds, he will remember no more. When we came to Jesus, did we need to clean up ourselves first? Clean up our act a little bit? No, we didn't. We come to him just as we are. And the Bible tells us in Acts 15, 9, he cleanses our hearts. That's beautiful, isn't it, to consider this morning? He does that cleansing work. Now that we've been made alive to God, we're spiritually alive, there are areas in our lives that we need to cleanse, as Paul is saying here, in participation with God. What do you mean by that, Mike? Well, remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup, but your inward part is what? It's filthy dirty. He said, first clean the inside part, and then the outward will be clean also. So how do we cleanse ourselves? Number one, one way is to confess our sins. You guys confess your sins? It tells us if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to purify us. Catharizo, same word to purify us from all unrighteousness. 
So when we confess, when the Holy Spirit shows us we've done something wrong, or we've said something wrong, or our attitude is wrong, does the Lord deal with your attitudes? He does, doesn't he? The longer you walk with the Lord, he starts to deal with your attitudes too. The way we respond, even if we don't say something. Are you with me? You guys still with me? I've seen a lot of blank stares. Maybe you guys have already perfected yourselves. <laughs> Pray for me. It's like, man, the Lord just, you think you got something nailed and then the Lord shows you. It's like, you know, that I need his forgiveness. But when we confess, it removes that poison. There's a cleansing that happens in our lives as we bring those things to him. Also, we're told that Jesus washes us or purifies us with the water of the word. So getting into the word of God, there's a cleansing that happens. There's a washing that, correct? That's what it says. Ephesians 5 talks about that. We're washed with the water of the word. And so there's this joint participation with God. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 speaks about laying aside every weight and sin that would easily do what? Beset us or slow us down. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So there's in our lives, there's weights and sin that needs to be laid aside. I don't need to point it out in your life. You know what's, what's maybe slowing you down in your race with Jesus. Maybe there's something that, maybe it's a good thing, but it's keeping you from the best thing in walking with Jesus. Maybe there's an area in your life the Lord's been showing you, and you need to lay that down this morning at the feet of Jesus. It's interesting, we have, the, we have these three magnolia trees in our backyard. Anybody ever heard of purple passion? Anybody ever heard of purple passion? It's a weed, and it's green. And it grows, and it ha- guess what color fl- flowers it has? Purple. And they're beautiful. And they're growing on the walls, and they're growing. And it's like, wow, that is an amazing. I didn't plant that. That thing just kind of popped up. But then it wrapped around our magnolia, the one that's right in the middle of our backyard. And it's looking beautiful. It's like, you know, there's no, no white flowers in the magnolia tree. And it, I, we allowed it to continue to grow, to grow, to grow. And you know what began to happen to the magnolia tree? All the life got sucked out of it. It was getting, it was getting like dwarfed. The other two magnolias, healthy, fruitful, vibrant. But isn't that what happens in our lives? There are certain things that will suck the life, sin, selfishness, things in our lives that the Lord is saying this morning, lay it down at my feet. That is, that is, and sin looks beautiful, doesn't it? It's pleasure. The Bible says it's pleasurable for a season. It's a short season. The way of the transgressor is hard. And Jesus, Jesus promised you and I, Christian, life, didn't he? And life abundantly. But those, those things, the, the, the filthiness of the flesh, the spirit, those sins, our selfishness, it sucks the life right out of us. And that's a shortcut. That's what sin is. It's a shortcut to satisfaction. It's a a shortcut to allowing the Lord to satisfy you and the things that he has for you. Addictions, same way. It's trying to find satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. And so Paul encourages us this morning, let us lay aside these things. Let us purify ourselves. But then the flip side is perfecting holiness, is walking with the Lord, going his direction, spending time with him. Well, let's keep rolling. He says, get rid of the pollution. Don't settle for junk. The Lord has what's best for you. Well, he goes on to say to the Corinthians, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn you, to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts, notice this, to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful, notice this, in all our tribulation. So notice what Paul says in verse 2. And this is the second time he said this. He says, open your hearts to us. 
Let's reconnect again. Let's, let's have that fellowship that we once shared before, that closeness, that intimacy. Open up your hearts. Give us some access to your hearts. Let us in. And Paul, of course, is including his team, but he's speaking primarily about himself. They have moved the Apostle Paul out of their hearts. And he says here, listen, there's no reason to criticize me. Why? We haven't hurt you. We haven't done you wrong. What's the second thing he says? We haven't corrupted anyone. We haven't acted dishonestly or immorally or impure. We've cheated no one at all. We haven't ripped you off at all. And what was, the, what was the Corinthians' issue then? The Corinthians' issue was their hearts. Right? It is an issue of the heart. Their, heart, their hearts, listen, were wide open to the world, the things of the world, but their hearts weren't wide open to Paul any longer. They were closed off. And so again, that's why he said, don't be unequally yoked. He's like, break that yoke. That unequal yoking with the world, the worldly things, and now let's get reconnected. And he says, look at verse 3. I love this. I'm not saying this to slam you or to condemn you or to criticize you. You know that I've already made this abundantly clear. I've said this before. You're in our hearts. You have a permanent place in the deepest part of our being. Notice what he says. To die together and to live together. Nothing can separate you from us. I think this is like, you, I mean, you can kind of read through that. Think about what Paul's saying. Paul loves these people so much. They're talking trash about him. They're not receiving from him. And his heart is wide open. He's like, we, we, we live and die with you. We love you. Our hearts are open to you. We, we've given our hearts over to you. How, does, how do you get to that place? Where it's like, you know, because how long would you hang in there with these people? Let's like, be real honest. Would you, would you bear with them? I mean, think about some of the people that maybe have done you wrong. Or maybe that you've just kind of said, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. We've lost patience. How does Paul have a heart like this for people, by the way? I think he prayed for them. Remember the first thing he told Timothy, young Pastor Timmy, Hey, Timmy, the, the first thing you may, need to make a priority in your life and as a minister is to be praying for everybody, giving thanks for all men. Why? Because what, what does prayer do? It doesn't necessarily change the other person. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But it begins to change who? It begins to change us. My heart begins to change for that person. I begin to grow and get God's heart for that person. Remember what he said in Romans. Remember Paul said about his countrymen, the Jews, he was willing to forfeit his own salvation for his countrymen, the Jews. Would you forfeit your salvation for anyone here this morning? I wouldn't. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm not there at all near there. But Paul's like, I would forfeit my salvation if my countrymen could get saved. How could he get there? It says that he prayed for them. I mean, think about everywhere he went. He went to the Jew. Who did he go to first when he went to a town? The Jew first and then the Gentile, the Greek. And everywhere he went, was he welcomed with big warm hugs and kisses? Oh, Paul, you're so awesome. Thank you for coming here to share with us. You're so, you're so groovy, dude. He get pummeled, he get beat. It's like, how many beatings do you need to take before you're like, you know what, I'm done with these people. But I think personally, I think, again, he was a man of prayer. Uh, does prayer work? Sure does. He hung in there. That's, this is, that's love. That's, that's connection. That's fellowship. He's like, I've been honest with you. Oh, verse 4, great is my boldness of speech. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Paul boasted in the Corinthians? What did he boast in them about? Think about 1 Corinthians. You guys remember 1 Corinthians? It was, it was primarily corrective, wasn't it? What were they doing? Suing one another, getting drunk at the communion table, sexually, sexual immorality rampant in the church. Is that a church you'd be boasting in? People you'd be boasting in? We're going to find out in just a minute why he was boasting about them. But notice what else he says. I'm filled with comfort. I'm totally uplifted and encouraged. I am exceedingly joyful. That means to superabound with joy. 
I am super abounding in joy in what? In all our tribulations. Tribulations is pressure, stress. Anybody going right now, you're going through pressure and stress and difficult situations, maybe with difficult people. Paul says, I'm super abounding with joy in all of my stress, all of my difficulty. I am totally encouraged. I am totally stoked. Is that possible? How do we normally do like in tribulations? We sing the blues, right? Poor Mimi. You guys get the poor Mimi's ever? But to be rejoicing? Do you, know, do you know this morning that God wants us to go through trials that way? James 1, count it, count it all joy when you, what, when you fall into trials of various kinds. Because we know something, God's doing something special in those trials. And what does God want to do in our trials and tribulations? He wants to comfort us. Do you know that this morning? Are you open to his comfort? This morning, are you open? If you're here this morning or you're listening, you are open to his comfort if you're hurting, by the way. Because some people, they just, they, they bail out. They head back into the world. They try to find comfort somewhere else besides with the Lord. And so he will comfort us, and there is rejoicing in the midst of those things. Well, Paul explains how this rejoicing came about. Let's read verse 5 through 7. Check it out with me. How did Paul come to this place of rejoicing? For indeed, he says, verse 5, check it out with me. When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us, how? By the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, check this out, but also by the consolation or comfort with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So what does Paul say? Hey, when me and the team, when we arrived in Macedonia, and you guys remember... Uh, between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Apostle Paul had made a visit to Corinth. He also sent, there was another letter that we don't have that was sent to Corinth also. I think we can see that as we work our way through the two epistles. But in any event, those visits, that visit and that letter in between 1st and 2nd was painful. In fact, he mentioned that earlier in chapter 2 of this letter. It was painful. So Paul left Corinth and went northbound Where's Corinth? In what country? Modern-day country. No, Greece. Corinth is in modern-day Greece. And it says, where did he go? Where was he with his team? What city? Or what area? Macedonia. That's northern Greece. Ancient Greece. So he traveled northbound. He had left Corinth. He was up there with the team. And what was going on? Look what it says. We came to Macedonia. Our, physically, we could not relax. I was worn out physically. Anybody here worn out physically this morning? We were troubled on every side. That means you're cornered. There's, again, there's pressure and stress on every side. I was a mess. I'm falling apart. Outside, there were battles. There was fights that were going on. Conflicts. Persecution. Internally, check this out. Inside, we're what? What does Paul say? You guys still with me this morning? Inside were what? Fears. The great apostle Paul had fear. Do you know that sometimes men and women of God have fear? We're not to walk in fear, but sometimes we experience fear, don't we? I like what David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. You get your eyes right back on the Lord. But Paul's like, listen, we're, we're dealing with stress and fear and anxiety. This is a gnarly trial. Nevertheless, God or but God who does what? What does God do? Look what it says. He comforts the downcast. Isn't that beautiful? You guys ever experienced God's comfort? 
And, and sometimes he does it when we're in our prayer closet. Sometimes he does it in special ways or we're just alone with him. But you know, often how the Lord, what the Lord does, he uses you and I to comfort one another. In fact, he began this epistle speaking about God's comfort. God, he's the father of all mercies, God of all comfort. What does he do? He comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we might comfort others with the same comfort that we've received from him. And so what are we to be doing? We're to be a, a conduit of his comfort. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, how did God comfort us? How did God comfort me personally? It's when what? In this situation, God's perfect timing. God was reaching out, and who did he use? Titus. So remember, Titus was left in Corinth when Paul took off for Macedonia. And now, here comes Titus. Do, 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 do. He cruises up. He comes, and he meets with Paul. Number one, just by his showing up, just by him coming alongside Paul, what did it do? It comforted him. And, and you know what? It's so true, isn't it? Some people, they just show up and don't they lift you up? Do you know anybody like that? They just show up on the scene, no matter what you're going through, and it's like all of a sudden, boom, they brighten up your day. Some people bring comfort when they come. Some people, they bring comfort when they leave. <laughs> it's just the realities of life. You guys are laughing at what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is one way God comforts us. He uses us. Are you open to someone bringing comfort to your life this morning? Some of us put up walls. Let, I mean, let's be honest here. You put up a wall. You put up your, your stone wall, your stone face. I'm good. I'm cool. Everything's all right. And you know what the reality is? You're not all right. You know, we have prayer. We have people up here after service every Sunday, every Wednesday that would just love to pray with you. And they're not going to think anything, uh, not going to think anything bad of you if you're struggling. We've all gone, we all struggle, don't we? Or when we fellowship across the way or after in the foyer or wherever, is that God wants to use our lives to comfort one another. Listen, are you, not only are you open to someone bring you comfort, are you open to give comfort to someone you know, there's a lot of one another statements in the Bible, in the New Testament. What, love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. You know, there's a lot of one another statements. Do you guys know that? You know what that means? One another means you need to spend time with. Thank you. And so not only was Paul comforted by Titus just showing up, but also the Corinthians brought Paul comfort. Why? Well, Titus came and he shared about, number one, their earnest desire. They had a, a, a longing to see Paul. They wanted to see Paul. They were, they were looking for They missed him, in other words. And then notice also your mourning, their brokenness. They were broken. Do you know brokenness is a good thing in God's kingdom? Do you guys know that this morning? Brokenness in the world, you're expendable. See you later. We'll get someone else. Brokenness in God's kingdom is something that he wants. Blessed are the poor in spirit, where they, right? The things that God desires, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Not sacrifice and offering, David said. Brokenness. Why? Because we don't look to our own strength, our own resources, our own wisdom. We rely upon Jesus in our brokenness. They're broken, Paul says. Or Titus said to Paul. He's encouraged about that. And then third, your zeal for me, your enthusiasm for me. This made Paul rejoice even more. You know what that means? They received Paul's correction. They received Paul's correction and the testimony of their lives, what was going on, their care, their concern. Paul's like, yes, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I'm comforted. I'm exceedingly joyful. Why? Because those precious people I care about, they're walking in the truth. There's been a change in them. You know, John wrote about that in uh, John's uh, last epistle, right before the book of Revelation. The apostle John, he said, um, he said, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. And then he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk 
in truth. Doesn't, don't you get excited, you guys, you, moms and dads, when your children are walking in truth? When they're doing what's right? They're on the path of following the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, the narrow, difficult path. Do, do you greatly rejoice? Man, you could be suffering, going through hardship, but you know what? Like, they're going to be all right. They're going to be a-okay. Why? Because, listen, Jesus will never let you down. When he's number one in your life, everything will work out. And it's such a joy to a parent. It's such a joy to a pastor to know that no matter what the suffering, no matter what the trial, no matter what the hardship is, that those precious people are walking in the truth. Verse 8, look what he says. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Hey, I know my letter made you uneasy, sad, it grieved you. I'm not disappointed. I do not regret it, though I do regret it. What does that mean? What he's saying here is, I, I'm not disappointed. I was at the time, but I recognized something. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry, notice this, in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. And so what is Paul saying there? He says, I know my letter made you uneasy, sad, you were grieved. I'm not disappointed about that. I was at the time. It was heavy, confrontational. I recognized my letter grieved you, but it was only for how long? For years and years and years? It was for a short time, for a season. But it produced something. Now I rejoice. I'm so excited. Not that I grieved you. I'm not excited I grieved you. But what? I'm rejoicing because your brokenness led you to have to repentance. What's repentance mean? Change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. And that's really going to be the theme of this chapter. Paul's rejoicing because what? Their sorrow, their brokenness led to going the right direction. They're going in a healthy direction. You were grieved in a way that was godly or healthy. And notice this is so crucial. I think this is the ap some application for us this morning. He says that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You know what he's saying here? We did what we did in a way that honors the Lord so that you would not be damaged or sustain injury. And, and he says that because why? It happens today all the time in ministry and in life. Listen, it is not right to make someone sorry in an ungodly manner. It is not right to make someone sorry in an ungodly manner. He says, we did this. We, you were made sorry in a godly manner. Some people will rub their, no, take their, rub their nose in something. That's not Paul. What he shared was the truth in love. There's ways that we're called to correct one another, isn't there, in the Scriptures? Right? We're to take out the beam from our own eye. You guys ever had someone that has, that has corrected you in love? They probably, had, they probably had someone that did it to them in love too. But there are some people that just walk around and they're like beam boy or girl. Just whacking everybody upside the head. Because they correct in an ungodly way. That's an amen. Thank you. Good job, girl. <laughs> The wrath, listen, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger doesn't produce, our fleshly anger doesn't produce what God wants to produce in that person or in our kids. And Paul had some hard things to say to them, but it was in love, wasn't it? What did he say earlier? You are in my heart. We live and we die with you. That's care. That's concern for someone, biblically, lovingly, with a heart to please the Lord. Listen, it's dangerous. We can bring correction and damage at the same time if we're not careful. 
prayerfully, lovingly, biblically, coming alongside people to help them. It's absolutely crucial. And then he goes on to say, look what he goes on to say in verse 10. He says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so genuine brokenness or godly sorrow brings about what? Brings about a change of mind, heart, direction. And that path leads to what? To salvation. That word means salvation, but it also means, check this out, it also means safety. It also means safety or deliverance or rescue. Not to be regretted. Listen, you will never regret going down this path. Godly sorrow, brokenness, and repenting. And listen, it's not just when we get saved. Repentance is important. Is, is it correct? Is repentance important? Or you just keep going the same old life? You keep, do you put your trust in Jesus and then keep living in the mud? And like the, no. There's a change of direction in your life. You turn from the life you were headed, living, and you turn to Jesus and you place your trust in him. It's like the same side, it's like both sides of the same coin. But we should live as Christians, we should live a lifestyle of repentance. It's not to be regretted. That's the place of safety, that path, living a life of repentance, a daily walk and life of repentance. The Lord shows us something, or someone that loves us comes alongside of us and maybe confronts us or challenges us on something. And what do we do? We take it to the Lord. And we need to repent. Have a ch- I, I, Lord, I see that what I was thinking, where my heart was, I was wrong, and I need to go a different direction now. Are you with me? Are you still with me this morning? This is like, this is like crucial to experiencing the life that the Lord would have for us. Why? Because the sorrow of the world, what's worldly sorrow? That's sorry you got busted sorrow. You know what I'm saying? Sorry you got, I'm sorry I got popped. I got caught. But that's the, all the further it goes. It accomplishes nothing but death, loss of life. Listen, sorrow and repentance are not the same thing. You can be sorry for sin without repenting of your sin. Sorrow is a feeling. But repentance, there's a change that happens in our lives. And it's, and it's sorrow. And if godly sorrow produces, or if sorrow produces repentance, then it's godly sorrow. Are you with me? The difference, here's the difference. Here's an example. The, the example is Peter and Judas. You guys remember Peter and Judas? Peter, you guys remember? He wiped out. He slipped. He fell. But what happened with him? That... Godly sorrow led to repentance. Judas, he was just sorry he got caught. And he didn't repent. And then took his own life. And so we see the difference between the two. How about, remember Naaman the Syrian in the Old Testament? Elijah told him to go. Wash in the Jordan River, dip in there. Was it like six times or seven times? Seven times, was it? And what did Naaman say? No way, man. The guy doesn't even come down and tell me himself, and I'm going to go dunk myself in that dirty river. And what did he end up finally doing? His guys talked some sense into him. And what happened when he went the right direction? He jumped in the Jordan River, right? Boom, 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 gets cleansed of his leprosy. See, the problem is our pride so often. Right? We like to blame. Who do we like to blame? Everyone else, right? Don't, is that right? We confess our spouse's sins to them. Right? You know what I'm saying? It's been happening since the beginning. Right? Adam blamed who? Adam blamed Eve and blamed God. It's the woman you gave me. Like he doubled up. A couple excuses. And Eve, what about her? The devil made me do it, Right? It's everybody else's fault but me. There's ownership. There's brokenness. The Lord shows us that, that this thing is sucking the life right out of you, and it's hurting you, it's damaging you, and damaging others. 
And we come to him just as we are. Listen, I, we did an altar call uh, last Sunday morning. We had people raise their hands here, first service. I had people come forward, second service. And it was so sweet to see those people that were broken. Their hearts were divided. There was areas in their lives that they said, you know what, I am done. I am, I am choosing today to repent and stop being unequally yoked, whether it was with people or the principles of this world, and I'm going to take a stand today. That's what Paul is saying in the next verse, that genuine repentance actually looks like something. There's something that happens when we're genuine. Does God want genuine in our lives? He does. Look at the next verse. Check it out with me. Verse 11. How are we doing on time? Sweet. Okay. Verse 11. Paul says, observe this very thing. Like, check it out. Behold, some of your Bibles may say, that you sorrowed, how? In a godly manner. You were genuinely broken over your sin. And look look at repentance here. What it produced. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this Matter. This is so good. What diligence it produced in you. And that word means to move speedily or quickly. In other words, whatever wrongs you had done, or whatever wrongs they had done, they didn't waste any time making things right. They didn't put it off. They didn't make excuses. They expended energy and effort to do what was right. In other words, you listened and you took action. Next thing he says, what clearing of yourselves. That means to present evidence or compelling proof. In other words, their lives testified to a change. They were walking in the right way. What indignation. That means like righteous anger. Why would they have anger? Because they're ticked off at sin. They're ticked off. They, they're now loving righteousness and hating lawlessness. You ever been there with your sin? You're so ticked off. It's like, I don't ever want to be around that again or associated with that. I'm cutting off. I, that used to be my close friend. No longer. I hate that. What fear? What kind of fear would you have in repentance? Fear of hurting yourself? Fear of hurting others? Fear of falling into that sin again? Allowing it to get a a toehold or a foothold in your life again? Knowing what the damage it's already done? What vehement desire? It's an intense hunger to do what is right. To make things right. What zeal? That means heat. A boiling love for what is good to serve the Lord. What vindication? That actually means to avenge. In this case, to show or prove that, man, that you're real, that you're authentic. In all things, Paul says, in everything, your actions have demonstrated that you are clear or complete. You dealt with the issue, is what he's saying, fully and completely. There's no incompleteness at all now. You've dealt with it fully and completely. Therefore, verse 12, in light of this, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. I'm not aiming this at the dude who did the the wrong, nor the sake of him who suffered the wrong. I'm not writing this for the, the aiming at the dude who had been done wrong, but notice why he's doing this, why he did what he did. But at our care for you in the sight of God, might appear to you. I wrote to you that you might know how much I love you and care for you. Notice that word cared for or care for. When you care for someone, are you concerned about them? You care, do you care? You, are you concerned for them? It speaks of being devoted or fond. You want the best for them. All of Paul's correction, all of Paul's instruction, all of his challenging to them, it was why it was for the best for them. Are you with me? Parents, do you want the best for your kids? Or do you want to make their lives miserable? Kids, what do you think? Do you think your folks want to make their lives miserable sometimes? Oh, I can't have this. Mom and dad are just... No, it's because we want the best for our kids. Same way with Paul, same way 
with our Heavenly Father. Paul had a genuine concern and love for them. Why was Paul correcting them? It was for their best interest, for them. He cared for them. Well, let's finish the chapter. We only got a couple verses in a couple minutes. Therefore, in light of all this, we have been comforted in your comfort. Isn't that interesting? They, they did what? They sorrowed in a godly way. They were broken. They repented. And now what did they have? They had comfort in their lives. I like that. We, therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. And we rejoiced exceedingly, exceedingly more, for the joy of Titus. Why? Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. By y'all. Paul was southern, right? Southern Tarsus. <laughs> Paul. Paul's like, we were super excited, praising God. Why? Because Titus was full of joy. He came back and he was super stoked. Why? Because y'all refreshed him. Do you know that, listen, do you know that God wants to refresh and use our lives to refresh one another? It means to revive, to reinvigorate. Have you ever been refreshed by someone that's just... Like that was like so soothing, so kind. Jesus said when we're thirsty to come to him and drink, to be filled up, that out of our hearts would flow rivers of what? Buffalo Bayou stuff? Sludge? No. That's gross, isn't it? I saw a couple of faces. You're right, it's nasty. Rivers of living water, there's soothing, there's cleansing, there's refreshment that we can bring to others. For if in anything, I, it's, and it's all about coming to Jesus, by the way, again, it's back to him to be filled up. It all flows out of our relationship with him. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. This is heavy. For if in anything I have boasted to him, to Titus, about you, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed at all of bragging one bit about you guys. When I said good things about you, I meant it. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. So Paul says, we, remember, we shared the truth in love with you. Titus did too. Paul wanted the best for the Corinthians. He said, our bragging about you has been proven true. I think this is so amazing to consider. Don't miss this couple last points before we finish. Number one, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians show that the Corinthians were a mess. Correct? In many ways. But Paul says what? I'm proud of you guys. I'm bragging on you. You know what that means? This, this is like so important. You know what that means? Paul saw the good in them. What do we typically do? What's the first thing we do with other people? We look, do we look for the good in them? Be honest in church here this morning. We don't, do we? Critical, sin-sniffing, fault-finding Pharisees within each one of our hearts. That's our default, I think. God help us. That we don't look for the bad, but we look for the good. What if we did that, guys? What if we did that? If we, if we looked at one another at the good that God is doing in one another's lives. That would cause us to do what? Yeah, what an awesome God we got. Isn't Jesus radical? Yeah, there's some issues, but look what the Lord is doing. He's great. Rather than looking at, looking at people's weaknesses and shortcomings, which we can be so prone to do, we would, listen, we would be more qualified to help people, I think, if we took Paul's example in this. And his affections, let's finish, are greater for you as he remembers. 
as he remembers what? The obedience of you all. As he reminisces about your obedience, it causes his affection to love grow even more. Um, how with fear and trembling you received him. You welcomed him in his ministry to you with reverence and respect. And then this last verse, this is so good. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in how much? In everything. Isn't that an interesting statement Paul makes to close out the chapter? This is so good. I'm praising God, he says. That what? I don't have any uncertainty or any doubts about you, but I can fully trust you with all things. Paul's encouraging them, isn't he? Is Paul encouraging them? How would that make you feel? If someone that you looked up to said, I know you can do this, I have confidence in you. When a, when a person does that in your life, that's a person that knows God and knows God's word. It's a person that knows the Lord Jesus, his grace, the work that he's begun in that person. Is God going to complete that work? He is. And you keep sharing the truth in love. You keep loving coming alongside, encouraging. What great, what, this is great for us. Listen, I am so grateful for Tanya, my bride. I know she has my back. She encourages me. Go for it. I'm behind you. There's people in ministry that way too that I am eternally grateful. That's a great thing we can do with our kids. I know you're going to make it. You're going to be all right. God is faithful. You keep trusting him. You keep looking to him. Oh, oh there's, some, there's some hiccups along the way. But I'm here for you to help you along the way, to encourage you. Don't, don't doubt God. Trust God and watch what he'll do. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for just this amazing chapter. You're an amazing God. Amazing Father. Thank you for ministering to our hearts this morning. For touching our hearts. And for the transforming work of your spirit.